0: Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where money changes you into someone Jessica Wakefield wants to date. <laughs> Book number 16, Rags to Riches.
1: Look who's after Roger Barrett. What so that make me, Miss
0: America? Hi, I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and I am here with Mike Yarski. Do you want me to say Michael or Mike?
1: Mike is fine. Okay. Yes.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yes.
1: Thank you for bringing me back to a series that I still have zero familiarity with. I never, ever read a single one.
0: Do you remember it sitting on shelves?
1: Yes. Okay. But I remember, I mean, when I was in kindergarten and for the first couple of years of elementary school, the ones like in the classroom it was all boxcar children oh sure and the my side of the mountain series it was all very manly it was like Johnny Tremaine I didn't
0: know that My Side of the Mountain series. I remember My Side of the Mountain. There was a movie I watched in middle school. I
1: think there's one after that. Or maybe I'm confusing it because both of them were there. The Gary Paulson Hatchet series (laughs) with the... Sure. With the kid who just finds the pilot's corpse in the plane underwater. And they made us watch a movie of that scene where the corpse turns in the cockpit. Oh my god. And the guy's eye is like on a string out of the socket. In elementary school? (laughs) I was in fourth grade, I think, yeah.
0: Well, gosh, compared to the things that happen in Sweet Valley, that sounds <laughs> relatively... Um,
1: right. Com- it's, it's sort of real. There's not a lot of class ascendancy in my elementary school, the way it seems to happen quite easily. Oh my easily. Gosh. class
0: ascendancy is a topic that we might talk about a lot. Yes. Before we talk about the book Rags yes. to Riches, which, uh, the events of which have been teased by the previous book, in which Roger Barrett's... Mother has a heart attack, and it's like a side plot that people keep hearing rumors about. Uh, let's talk about the cover of this book.
1: Sure. The picture on it is of a young gray-haired lady. <laughs> um,
0: I think it might be just that your book is really ancient and like, sun-worn. She's supposed to look blonde, but it's Jessica. Look,
1: it's okay, because we're just going to act like... I'm just going to describe it as okay. if they're all sun-worn by this point. Okay. And then we have, like, a maroon head guy <laughs> with his collar popped. His inside collar popped? Is he wearing two polos?
0: Oh, my God. I did not notice that. Because there's,
1: there's a collar He's popped. He's wearing two polos, okay. Mike. He's wearing two polos. Can I just interject with a, with a date story yeah. about the two polo thing?
0: Please. Okay.
1: I used to live in Boston. I met this guy on OKCupid. Okay I think his name was Rob. He's the only person that I've ever seen wearing a polo on top of another polo in real life as an adult. When he shows up, I think, 20 minutes late. And at that point in my life, I was willing to give a half an hour Uh because I lived close enough to the restaurant. But anyway. (laughs) Sure. He gets out of his car and he has a, a pink polo with the collar popped underneath a green polo with the collar popped. Oh, double pop! But the gator on the shirt is also green, so you, and you can't really see it because it's one of those Lacoste green shirts with the green gator. So uh-huh. it just looks like this weird tongue <laughs> on the shirt. Okay. And there's this huge blotch of what looks like marinara sauce.
0: Oh no! On the
1: bottom right hand side. And on Ok Cupid, like through message before the date, he said, "Oh, I need to. Um, it might take me a little while to get there. I need to take 93 North." To get to this restaurant, right? So he's late. We're talking about like, oh, what happened? And he says, oh my God, traffic on 93 South was just ridiculous. So I caught it. Right. And I said, but you told me you were coming from Boston. Did you mean 93 North or 93 South? And immediately it's like his whole facade, like his whole world was shattered. His whole facade was blown out the door. And he goes... All right, let me level with you. I don't actually work at a bank in downtown. I actually work at a Dunkin Donuts as a regional manager north of Somerville. <laughs> and I said, "Fine, like Yeah. I'm probably less ashamed of that than being a banker for you, <laughs> especially after 2008." Uh-huh. But the thing is like I couldn't handle the fact that he had a polo on over another one that still had a giant stain on it. So right. who knows what was you on weren't the one thinking underneath. About, you
0: weren't thinking about the lies and deception about jobs and the weird uh, self-esteem issues at play in lying about which direction you're coming from and what your basic job is. You were concerned yeah. about the double polo, which brings us back to Roger Patman. That actually is, I know you'll notice I called him Roger Patman. That yes. is his new name. Not a lot of fanfare about the fact that he's calling himself Roger Patman now and of Roger Barrett.
1: Or even Roger Barrett, Patman. Uh, or, yeah.
0: Um, and blissfully, <laughs> he does not have two popped collars on this cover, uh, but right. he does, unfortunately, seem to be wearing two polos, and the inside polo does seem to be popped. Uh, and he's wearing a loose, very cool 80s kind of blazer.
1: Yeah, and, maybe it's a linen situation.
0: And you know what? He's looking off very happily and wistfully into the distance. Which seems like a weird mood on Roger for this particular book.
1: Yeah, he seems very, very proud of himself, given the fact that one of the morals of the story is that he needs to get over his own insecurities.
0: Yeah, big moral.
1: Jessica looks appropriately mischievous.
0: Absolutely. She looks like she's got she's up to something.
1: She does look like she's up to something, but it also looks like she's just staring into his ear.
0: Yeah. This is a very boy-heavy book in terms of following a male character yes. around. Uh, so let's talk about it. Um, th- going through the plot, the the book opens like really like in media rest, right? <laughs>
1: it does, and all there's just this crazy amount of exposition that happens. Oh my
0: gosh! Yes, I wrote down the phrase that I wrote down. I wanna I wanna repeat. I don't wanna forget it. I wrote. A lot of interpersonal baggage needs to be unpacked at the opening of this book. Yes. Like, not just exposition as, like, these are things that happened story-wise, but, like, these are relationship dynamics at play. We've got Olivia and Roger, of course, mm-hmm. are dating. Yes. We've got Roger used to have a crush on Lila Fowler, and he was obsessed with her. That happened in book 10. Okay. We've got... uh Jessica used to date Bruce Patman, and he was, like, the one guy that she was serious about, but she's forgotten about that now. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think what else.
1: Was her aim to get with Bruce also having to do with the wealth and prestige of being in the Patman fold at that time, or was it...
0: Well, Bruce is a real playboy, so I think that Jessica's interest in Bruce was actually more genuine than Jessica's interest in anybody tends to be. But a big part of what's sexy about Bruce Patman, who is a total asshole, is that he's insanely wealthy. It's like he's earned his right to be a dick because he has the fancy car the book would, would put forward, almost as if it would be weird for him not to have this outsized ego because he's rich. Like, come on. That's what rich people are it's like. It's totally
1: normal. Uh, they're uh, held to a different standard yeah. of conduct, and we should all be okay with that.
0: To the extent that when the Marrows, Nicholas and Regina, Regina factors into a just bonkers, nothing can do with anything B-plot that we'll get to in this
1: story. Yes, yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on that. When they,
0: sure. Yeah. The Marrows move to town. It's like a big deal that they're actually nice people, even though they're the wealthiest ones of all. <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: How do they do it?
0: How do they do it? Um, So yeah, beginning of the book, Olivia and Roger kind of talking about what happened. And we learn a little bit about how Roger came to learn that he was the son of Paul Patman, a deceased uncle of the Patman family, who we never heard about before the book before. No. Do you remember what happened with Paul?
1: I remember because the line in which he just dumps it all out there is phenomenal. I love this line so much. It says, The Patmans may be terrible snobs, but they can't change him. No one can. And I put at the bottom a note that says, A lesson to children about the brutishness of men. <laughs> <laughs> but on uh, page four, it's, he just comes out with it. He goes, Well, I guess my mother moved away when she found out she was going to have a baby. While she was gone, Paul tried to divorce his awful wife. He wanted to marry my mother, but nobody ever found out about it because he was killed in a plane crash flying down to Mexico on business. So that's what happened. Yeah. It's all out there.
0: And then his mother never told him the truth. And Paul Patman secretly left his entire fortune to Roger. Yep. And with the provision that Roger could not find out about this until he turned 21. Or his mother died in a
1: plane crash or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: In a heart in, attack.
1: In a heart attack.
0: And so <clears> that's how this all came to pass. And uh, I guess Roger's mother had worked in the Patman, like, canning factory or something. So, yeah. So that's how he came. And now he lives at the Patman house. He actually says he refers to the change as he used to come from a terrible family. He And I just thought, like, as a self-description, the, the fact that you are poor is one thing. But the idea that you would refer to just yeah. your dirt poorness... And just like you and mom, that's it. That's your family. No siblings. No dad that you knew of. As a terrible family, it seemed like such a weird thing. I guess it says a lot about the world that we're in.
1: Yes, it, and I, I won't even give the author enough credit to say that it was that they were a family in terrible circumstances. It does not. Read it that says way. that it's a terrible family, and it's totally because there's this innate sense of worth being. Um, correlated with or, you know, sort of like on par with income.
0: Yeah. Well, we're, da- it's,
1: yeah, we're it's-
0: dancing around here, <clears throat> but I do I realize I have this marked also in the very beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Roger's talking to Olivia here.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. It's
0: also strange, Roger told her. One minute, I'm Roger Barrett, a total nothing from a terrible family. And the next minute, my mother's so sick and Mr. Patman, uh, I mean, Uncle Henry, is sending her to Houston for an operation, and then she's dead. And as soon as the funeral's over, all these lawyers are swarming all over me, telling me I'm not Roger Barrett after all, but the son of Paul Patman. Roger looked down at the uneaten hot dog on his lunch tray and shook his head. Liv, I don't know what to think about anything anymore. He confided. And I'm pretty sure that that is the last mention of Roger Barrett's mother in this entire book.
1: That's correct.
0: Which, in a book that is not that outrageous overall compared to some of the recent ones. We've recently had kidnappings, we've had uh characters' girlfriends dying and you know, girls going out doing drugs and drinking and you know, like there's been a lot of events recently. This book is relatively event free, but the one of the big like oh my god, that's really fucked up things about this book yeah. is that yeah, he just doesn't mention really ever like being sad or missing his mom or missing his old life right
1: no he mostly just seems to be preoccupied with whether or not he can do medicine and run
0: yes well we'll need to talk about that and i thought you were gonna say he was preoccupied with whether or not he can like hack it as a patman and i will say that in a weird almost like regency era level of stringency like like the patmans are so like their shit does not stink and they are so fancy that they have these rigid ideas of what it means to be a wealthy like well to do family um basically roger is living in this house and the big conflict for roger in this book is that his aunt marie especially Mm -hmm. really seems to not like him she's a really stuck up rich bitch, Mm -hmm. and she runs her house. She doesn't like that she suddenly has this other guy in her house, which is understandable. If we're being charitable, it would be a little bit weird. But maybe she could have, like, a smidgen of empathy for this poor child who just lost his mother. But whatever. Now he has no parents. He's an orphan. Like, oh, God forbid he has to take up one of the rooms in your fucking mansion. But... Um, you know, she has him down to the family, to a fancy dinner with some clients, but it's not really a fancy dinner. It's like six people at like a 30 person table and Roger spills some wine on this woman's dress and it's like a whole, he's so embarrassing. He's such an embarrassment. And, um, just to skip ahead to what you're talking about, because I think it is worth mentioning now, it colors the whole story. Eventually, Aunt Marie and Roger sit down and have this talk about, like, let's get to know each other. What is it that you aspire to? What do you like to do? This is Aunt Marie, like, trying to reach out to Roger, I guess. Yeah. Roger already knows Aunt Marie hates his guts and, like, doesn't approve of him. And just check.
1: Yes. She condemns him for running because it's so solitary. And then when he says, well, running helps to make me think... She kind of says this thing uh, along the lines of, what do you have to think about? Why can't you play tennis instead? Tennis, by the way, not that much more significantly social.
0: Well, it's also not like she is upset that running is like sweaty. It's like, do you think you don't sweat playing tennis?
1: Tennis actually both require for some people a sweatband.
0: This would be one of these women who is, like, horrified at these new, like, dresses and, like, ladies yelling during tennis matches.
1: She also is someone who's so insular that she hasn't heard about, like, club soda to get rid of wine stains.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, she man. she even
1: have that in her house? Or would she, would she just go, oh, I couldn't possibly waste champagne on they a have, wine <laughs> stain. They
0: have to have club soda in their house because it, it has to be on their bar cart, right? To like, it's
1: got to be on the bar cart for yeah. some kind of sickening scotch that you should never put soda with.
0: So. So also in this same conversation, yeah. she asked Roger what he wants to do in the future. And he said he's been thinking about medicine. And she's like, medicine? medicine. She goes, Ew. <laughs> why are you thinking about Wh- medicine?
1: Why would you want to help other people? And when
0: he says he wants to be a doctor, she's like, so messy. <laughs>
1: Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's.
0: So weird. So it's, I mean, I guess we can, we have to give the book some credit for at least coming up with a creative way of her being uh, so rigid. It's not just like, oh, you have to have a good career if you want to be a Patman. It's like, you have to have a, the exact career that I want you to have in right. business and don't consider any other professional line.
1: And what's great about it is that the book doesn't do a very good job of capturing what exactly it means by talking about business like there there are some it's so vague that i think there's a line of dialogue that shows just how little sort of like research was put into it where oh yeah so on page 17 so reginald the waiter is serving them at this dinner party it's like roger is there mr ferguson is there mrs ferguson is there and one of them says i still can't believe you bought that stock when i told you to sell Mr. Ferguson said to Mr. Patman launching into a business conversation.
0: <laughs> this is I, I'm glad you noticed that. I didn't even notice that. I skimmed right past it, but that is a good example of the vagueness and beyond yeah. this canning factory, which I think is just one of the the, you know, monolithic Patman Industries businesses, yeah. th- but we don't re- that we don't know what the Patmans do. We and don't. We do know from previous books, although it's not mentioned much in this book, that they are old money. Okay. The Fowlers, at least, are new money. And when the series first started, that was the two. Old money, new money were the two rich families. Um, So you mentioned the Fergusons. The Fergusons are a couple of weird old people that are business clients of the Patmans that if we really wanted to dig into, like, conspiracy theories or
1: something, trying to figure out what the hell the Fergusons are doing. I don't know what the role is because they just seem to be talking about business in the Vegas terms. I'm just wondering why it doesn't commit to giving them...
0: Right. It's like they couldn't get permission of, to no. commit to one thing or another. No.
1: Just like a hedge fund manager if those even yeah. existed back Somebody's then. Somebody's
0: like madly flipping through the Sweet Valley High yeah. Bible. What like is the, this business? The story Bible? Like it must be in here somewhere. Is, is it there's a hundred pages about the Patman of family history. Why is none of this say what their business is?
1: He's just a bit it's probably one of those stores downtown called the business store. You notice how the different stores are called? Like the tennis shop. Yeah. And the hockey shop. <laughs> yeah, the, the sports. The sports shop.
0: Yeah. I uh, I was, listeners, I was just doing some um, miming very furiously of flipping through the pages of the Sweet Valley High Story Bible. Yes. That you missed out on. I'm sorry, but Mike got the benefit I
1: of. got all of it. I put
0: a lot of energy into it. Are you Nazi
1: jealous? <laughs> are you jealous, people?
0: Well, so the <clears throat> Fergusons, though, are described as this couple that there's an old man and a much younger woman. Um, but she's the worst. She's the worst. She's even worse than Marie. And the reason that I mention them is that I find it so strange that they're around for everything. Like, so the way, the structure of this book is that To welcome Roger, ironically, since he's feeling a little bit unwelcome, to welcome Roger into the Patman family, there is a series of parties. First, there first we hear about the biggest party of the season. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh,
0: Again, very regency, like oh, this season there's going to be a party at the country club, and
1: it is going to be something really elegant. Mm -hmm. On page twenty one, yeah, in italics, elegant italicized, Yeah. yeah.
0: I thought maybe it was going to allude to a French accent, but it didn't. Um, it so Jessica, Jessica is excited that the party's going to be so elegant. It's a, it's a formal dance at the country club. And that's very important that the formality and the, like, high endness of this event is critical to the story's mechanics. But before that, for some reason, the Patmans have decided... I mean, some reason meaning, like, just a plot device. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we,
1: we kind of know. We yeah. don't really... It's
0: like a MacGuffin. There is... <laughs> A barbecue cookout at the Patmans, which seems a little bit incongruous, like the idea of the Patman estate and a barbecue, but whatever. That
1: doesn't really work for me. It's
0: actually, um, I think it's summed up very well, metaphorically speaking, by the introduction to the chapter about the barbecue that says, The barbecue was being held out by the Patmans' Olympic-sized swimming pool.
1: That's a big-ass swimming pool.
0: I don't know why... Anybody has an Olympic-sized swimming pool in their backyard of their home, but just picture it in your head. There's an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and next to it, there's just, like, a little barbecue party with a bunch of teenagers.
1: Just to give just an idea, the Los Angeles, like, Olympic swimming pool, right by the Coliseum. Right,
0: where they had the Olympics.
1: Where they had the Olympics. That building is still there, and it takes up at least seven, to like, maybe six to seven L.A. blocks because it's it's from King Boulevard. Up to Expo. I think that's like five, like a, 39th to 35th. An swimming
0: pool is And it's in their backyard, yeah. Because it's huge. And so <laughs> this party is like mostly pool when you picture it in your yeah. mind's eye.
1: With just a little, like a little grill at the yeah. bottom and of also, it. Also,
0: that's not very Southern California mansion, you know. People have the, like kidney-shaped pools, you know. And then later right. on, they, the Jessica entices Olivia to dive into the pool. But I'm getting ahead of myself because I was talking about the terrible Fergusons. Yes. We'll get back to the pool party. Okay. So... Uh, During this party, Mr. and Mrs. Ferguson are there. There are no other adult friends of the Patmans that we hear about that are there. But they're there for some reason. It's like, why did they come to this barbecue, these like business associates? And then they're there again at the big party at the end, and Mrs. Ferguson says something cutting to Roger. But getting ahead of myself, what happens is... Fairly predictable, right? Yes. The first scene of the book, Olivia and Roger are having a conversation where they're they're trying to be normal, but we get a glimpse into each of their heads, and they're both clearly thinking, I don't know what this is going to be like now between the two of us. Like, mm-hmm. is the other person still going to like me? Olivia's especially thinking this. Like, is am I going to be the right girl now that Roger is Roger Patman? Right? Yes. Did you get that sense from the very beginning?
1: Yeah, that... And, and he's a little self-conscious about it, too. Um, Olivia is definitely very concerned. Definitely makes herself very, very available to Jessica for her gaslighting and emotional manipulation right. when she starts to set up all these scenarios. So
0: that's what makes up the bulk of this book. Yeah. And um, Jessica is really in prime form in this book. It is impressive, I have yeah. to say. Uh, last week, we talked about a book where Jessica doesn't really get her comeuppance. And so it was a little bit easier to swallow Jessica's machinations in this book because she does kind of get her just desserts. But basically, as you can imagine, listeners, Jessica wants Roger now that he's rich. And she thinks she'd be a much better fit for him. Mm-hmm. For I don't know for how long, but she wants to go to this big dance with him. So she snaps into action and it's impressive. So, do you remember her first, like her opening bid?
1: I forget if the opening bid was the dress, the tennis. the tennis match was the last one, right? I think
0: the first thing is that she dresses up in this preppy clothes to go to the barbecue. And right. She, and here's where it's like really, really deftly thought out. She f- tries to really flatter Bruce's mother, Roger's aunt, Aunt Marie. Through Elizabeth's eyes, we see that Elizabeth was like, oh, I never saw Jessica dress preppy like that before, except when she was dating Bruce. And like, oh, she's being so nice to all the adults. She explicitly asks Marie Patman if she can be introduced to the other adults at the party. Yeah. She goes off with Marie for lemonade. In fact, I actually marked this passage.
1: Um. Oh, the one that sexualizes Jessica right away with uh a... quote Jessica usually preferred bikinis thinking it was a shame to conceal her trim tanned abdomen.
0: <laughs> yeah, Jessica wears a one-piece Whew. bathing suit to this party because it's classier. Uh
1: and they called the the plate first of all there there needs to be there needs to be a record corrected here because she goes to quote the Boston shop. <laughs> To dress well.
0: (laughs) Well, the Boston shop is where you buy double polos, like uh, your date from OKCupid. I
1: guess so. I guess so. But like my image, I lived in Boston for 11 years, and like my image of what a Boston haberdashery is, is like a Red Sox cap emporium, (laughs) a Boston Bruins jersey, and shorts all the time, like jorts that aren't rolled up. (laughs) They just have the seam right on the end, and they go down. Just like they're below not your knee, just like right above it. So you still see that disgusting pale orb of a kneecap <laughs> with just these pasty white Bostonian hairs creeping out the bottom. And then like, that's just that's just it even in like February. So the idea that the idea that the Boston shop isn't just the pro shop at the TD Bank North Garden <laughs> Or just like a Celtic. That might jersey. also be
0: called the Boston. Maybe shop for all I don't we know. know. I was this just like, this is the 80s, not you the know? town.
1: This is not the town that should be known for its sartorial uh, proficiency by any means. But anyway, I just saw that and wanted to make a... <laughs>
0: That's important, but just to set the stage. Sure. Of how Jessica's being at this party. Um, here's one moment of uh, amusement from Jessica. Elizabeth walked past, just as Mrs. Ferguson, pulling down her wide-brimmed hat, announced that teenagers today were the most inconsiderate creatures she had ever seen. (laughs) I'm afraid I have to agree with you, Elizabeth had heard her twin say mournfully, clearly distinguishing herself from the inconsiderate teenagers milling all around them. So, yeah, Jessica is... she's putting on a show. Yes. And it is effective because... Uh, now she's, like, planted this seed in Marie's head, and she's also kind of, M- Marie says something weird to her, like, um, well, I mean, I'll go ahead and read it if you don't mind. Go for it. It's so nice to get to meet all of Roger's friends before the party at the club, Mrs. Patman said. I'm just making the sack set up as I No, go ahead, it's fine. It's so fine. We'll Mrs. Patman said at last, patting her hair with one hand. Jessica couldn't help noticing that the diamond ring on her left hand went all the way up to her knuckle. Tell me, Mrs. Patman said suddenly, leaning forward across the table. Are you a very close friend of Roger's? We want so much, you see, to get to know his real friends. I wish we were closer, Jessica sighed and looked sweetly at Mrs. Patman. Roger's so busy, you know. He studies so hard and he's so serious about running. Yes, running, Mrs. Patman said, wrinkling her nose in distaste. A dreadful habit, I think. We're hoping he'll take up something a little more social. Tennis would be nice, don't you think? She sighed, patting her hair again. Bruce is such a wonderful, wonderful tennis, tennis player. <laughs> Tennis is my favorite sport, Jessica said quickly. Weirdly, Mrs. Patman should know this, because Jessica and Bruce played a ton of tennis when they were dating, but whatever, Mrs. Patman doesn't seem to be aware that Jessica and Bruce ever dated. Mrs. Patman's eyes narrowed. Tell me, Jessica, she said. Who are Roger's really close friends then? I want him to make sure he knows the right sort of people, now that he's part of the family. I'm not really sure, Jessica said evasively. "'Well, what about this Olivia, for instance?' Mrs. Patman asked. "'Is she a friend of yours?' Uh no, ma'am,' Jessica said politely. "'I've always thought Olivia is a little too shy,' she added. "'I've thought so, too,' Mrs. Patman exclaimed, as if being shy were a criminal act.' Of course you're too sweet to say so, Jessica, but this Olivia is terribly awkward, isn't she? Not really the sort of girl who can help Roger very much now that he has so much to learn, if you know what I mean, she added.
1: Uh, He's a dummy.
0: I think I do, Jessica said, lowering her (laughs) eyes. Mrs. Patman smiled coolly at Jessica and set her glass down on the table. We understand each other, don't we? she asked
1: sweetly. (laughs) Such a Bond villain line, isn't it? It really is.
0: Before Jessica could answer, (laughs) Mrs. Patman folded her hands together and continued, I want so much for Roger to feel more at ease. It would be nice if he could find someone a little more suitable to spend his time with. Maybe you could help him, Jessica. So anyway, it's a weird sort of like, uh... Reverse engineering a relationship, and I mean, that in and of itself wouldn't work. Except then, Jessica is such a fucking mastermind that she gets in everybody's head, just like in this scene, and she makes them think that they are coming up with the ideas that she's
1: planting there. Yeah, she's a masterful, masterful emotional manipulator, and maybe a sociopath. Maybe, sure, (laughs) maybe I'm not really sure, but the scheming and the and just. It all happens for her so quickly.
0: Yeah, and she it's kind and of amazing. We don't see her in her room, like cooking up her scheme, like no. you know, like scribbling down like what she's going to do. But it, it's, it's like let's knock knock off what she does here. She has the thing at the party where she makes Olivia like have two plates of food, even though everybody only has one, which is such a minor thing, but it's like. Olivia looks stupid and it's just like a little bit awkward. Yeah. Like, oh, why is she carrying two plates like she, when everybody else has one plate? It's so dumb. But in high school, I, that is the kind of like little thing at a fancy high school party that maybe would make you feel weird, I don't
1: know. It, it it is weird, but I couldn't help but wonder why Olivia wasn't able to check other people's plate situation. Yeah. Prior to
0: She I think
1: she was- asking somebody else?
0: I think she just feels so out of place that she even asks, like, is it okay if I get dessert? And Jessica like pushes her, like, Yeah, do whatever you want, girl. Come on, girlfriend, you do you. And yeah. then she's like makes it makes a big thing out of it. She um like encourages Olivia to go in the pool, it, like dive into the pool, and she because Jessica does this beautiful dive into the pool, yep. then Olivia does a belly flop. Then she gets Bruce to uh Agree to they, it would be fun to play doubles with the Roger yes. and Olivia, which oh my god! I when they said they were going to do that, I was just like, this is going to be a disaster. Yep,
1: yeah. it was a very meet the parents like humiliation comedy type situation. Yeah. And uh, rather for me.
0: and rather than <clears throat> like oh well, Roger and Olivia are going to get beaten to death by the amazing Bruce and Jessica, who were like the best tennis players in town. They did play boys against girls. So Roger gets to have a good partner and, like, have fun, and Roger's pretty athletic, and Olivia has no idea what she's doing, and Jessica lies to her and says that yeah. she's rusty. What did you think of Roger in this scene, the tennis scene?
1: Roger, I, so what I, think what I think what the author decided, whoever that might be at this point. <laughs> right. I think what the author decided was to focus, a, it felt to me like they were focusing a lot more on the relationship between jessica and olivia and that a lot of what roger actually says through the scene kind of felt like obligatory or kind of like placeholdery stuff it didn't really reveal a lot about him he just kind of like went with it yeah because he needed to in order for the scene to go forward like i don't remember him making any fuss or saying this and that he was just like oh come on like yeah we're having fun you need it you know she doesn't i don't even think he offers olivia the ride home jessica does
0: No, Jessica jumps right in and offers it, and it's clear that Olivia and Roger are a little bit annoyed with each other. Like, I don't know, but we don't really get to see what it is about Roger that has been annoying to Olivia when we arrive at the house for the tennis match uh, at the Patmans, of course. uh, Roger has been giving Olivia a tour around the place, and if I had to guess, I would say that maybe Roger is starting to enjoy himself a bit, like he's starting to enjoy his wealth a bit, and Olivia is maybe a little bit uncomfortable at, like, what that brings out in him. But the thing sure. about the tennis scene where I was like, Roger, come on, was when she, like, fall, trips on something. She's all sweaty and exhausted. She trips on something. She skins her hands. And Jessica's like, oh, maybe we should stop. And Roger's like, Liv, you don't want to stop, do you? And am just like, dude, she was never your sports partner. Like, that was never – it just seemed, like, very, um, like – he's not trying to be particularly compassionate to his
1: girlfriend that he supposedly loves so much. No, and it just, it is bizarre, and I think it really is just, we don't want them to think we can't swim.
0: Oh, he's trying right? to show that he can hack it still. Yeah. still. That's his main MO, yeah.
1: And so it just coasts on that MO in particular through it. Like, it just needs, it's like the writer needs to show that Roger is very committed to fitting in. Yeah. To the point where, he just looks as embarrassed about what Olivia is doing as Olivia does, but not for the same reasons necessarily. It's It's, very very much like... And this points to, like, a later thing that I was realizing about this book, um, that for whatever reason, it seems like wealth makes people much better at being able to emotionally blackmail people in some way. Mm. That... um, when wealth is like dangling over someone like that, where if you look at Roger and they are really, tr- they're almost investing a lot of time in othering him, especially the way that they talk about his running and the way that they talk about uh, him being. A doctor, You're othering he's him in
0: unnecessary ways. In unnecessary
1: too. ways that are and, like and they're backbending being somewhat
0: ways. Like they're really trying to other him.
1: Yeah, yeah. There is this kind of change yourself thing going on, and the and really the only real power that he has over the only real power that they have over him is that he's a guest in a very very wealthy home. Because I can't imagine, and not having read the previous books, really that. Um, that is not a discussion that would happen the way that it does between just any kid and parent. Yeah. Not really. There's usually a little bit more give and take. There's usually a little bit more of equal footing. If the parent is like a well-adjusted yeah. individual, and yeah. so is the kid.
0: Roger feels like he needs to be grateful for all all this wealth he's suddenly got yes. himself. And we, everyone's been so generous, and now he has this amazing wealth. I, I do think there's one other thing at play, which is that If it weren't for the Patmans, he would have no family now.
1: Exactly. So he's kind of hostage. There's a lot of power dynamic there. But I think that in some way, a lot of us are conditioned to be impressed by status like that. And it makes us want to ingratiate ourselves to our own detriment. And that is what all of them attempt to kind of do. Because they're all kind of falling over each other to make themselves feel accepted into a wealthy world when wealth is the accumulation of stuff that doesn't go back into the stream. Like, people who have wealth are just holding on to things that other people can't have them. It's exclusionary by default, Mm -hmm. even having that much money. Sure. And so these people are wasting their times trying to include themselves among a group of people who are the way they are because of what they are excluding.
0: Yeah, or you know, who
1: they are excluding.
0: It's kind of striking to think about that in the context of this world where that way of thinking does not seem to be at play. The idea that, obviously, yeah. the... Wealthy people are the ones who know how to behave, who set the rules, who whose rules we all have to follow Right, um, is really in everybody's heads. Like, from Jessica, who only is interested in Roger, who she knows almost nothing about because of his newfound wealth, to poor Olivia, who, because she just feels awkward yeah. around these wealthy people, which she only feels awkward because she's like, well, I'm not... Their kind of person. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm. I'm creative. I kind of have a spunky style. I make my own stuff. I'm super crafty. Yeah. I'm super artsy and because, kind of alternative. And
0: normally Olivia is so self assured and she doesn't care at all what other people think. And the only reason now that she's starting to doubt herself is that through Rogers she's had access to a like right. a, this yeah. judgmental class of yeah. like rulers over the town. So. Um, I think I guess that sort of brings us to Jessica's like coup de grace, which is all around the dress for the big formal dance at the country club. yes, Olivia doesn't have enough money to buy a fancy dress. She's not poor, but like the fancy dresses are expensive um they like as a rule, yeah, and so she buys this nice fabric to like make her own dress, and we find out that Jessica's gonna go over and help her hem the dress, and Elizabeth's like. Jessica's going to do what now?
1: Like, she doesn't know how to sew. And Olivia does. Olivia, Elizabeth yeah. knows that Olivia knows how to sew and yeah. sew well. They've already gone,
0: they've already taken a trip to like the dress store where Jessica was going to d- try to <laughs> The dress
1: shop. Yeah. And, it's right outside the business district next to the tennis <laughs> shop. spend the, the sports store. Yeah, in the sports store, the Boston shop.
0: Jessica is trying to help Olivia pick out a tennis outfit. And she's like, Olivia, to her credit, kind of dimmers, Like, you know what? I think I'm going to just wear my own stuff. And Jessica makes up something that, that Roger said about how, mm-hmm. how Olivia didn't fit in with her family. And Olivia just believes her. Like, oh, I overheard Roger saying something to Todd about how... Uh, the Patmans were afraid that you weren't the right fit for him. Which, of course, works like a charm. Yeah. Well, and Jessica's all like, uh, this is important to know, because this is her genius. She's like, I shouldn't tell you. And Olivia's like, tell me what? Like, please, tell yes. me. And Jessica's like, well, since you insist, I'll tell you. Exactly. This is what I overheard.
1: Let me bait you first.
0: Don't worry about it at all. Please don't. You know, she, so she's playing totally cool. And then she goes to help with the hemming of the dress, and she's just like boy it's really simple and Olivia's like yeah that's what I wanted and she's like I it's just not I really don't think it's right like let's go buy a new dress and Olivia's just like I don't think so I was I loved that Olivia decided she wasn't gonna go buy a new dress unfortunately yeah. Jessica goes home and Olivia's like I can't go to the stance with Roger I'm gonna embarrass him
1: Aww. and that's the that's what's really like, Jessica would be a great PR person or advertise, advertising person because mm-hmm. she clearly has this gift for dangling that which you now want
0: yeah. and you
1: couldn't have in front of people. It's almost like she's able to, like a lot of advertisements do, she has that ability to create a want for something in somebody else. Yeah. She engineers Olivia's demand for a dress she wouldn't have thought about in a hundred years. And she's dangling that in front of her like a carrot and then yanks it just a little bit out of reach yeah. so that she can continue to do it. So that Olivia will continue doing Jessica's bidding up until a certain point.
0: Right. She does this thing of, like, making people think it something is their idea. That's something we talk about yeah. sometimes in the world of, like, oh, so-and-so will only do something if you make them think it's their idea. Jessica just uses that on everybody. And, like, it, and it works like a yeah. charm. Yeah. Here, here's an example, actually, from the scene in question. Jessica goes home. And Olivia is tortured, thinking about the fact that this dress is never going to work. "'Jessica's right,' she said aloud, putting the dress back in the closet. "'The Patmans are all Roger has left now.' She shook her head again, her eyes filling with tears. "'If I go to the country club party with Roger, I'll make a complete fool out of us both. How in the world did I ever think the two of us could stay together?' And poor Olivia, like, basically breaks up with Roger, like, the next day. Yeah. Or they, like, kind of mutually have a little argument where she says, I can't go with you because I'll embarrass you. And he says more like, if you really cared about me, you wouldn't let me down like this. Like, this is a misunderstanding. Yeah. When Jessica finds out that they have broken up, she runs to Roger and makes up a, a whole new set of things that Olivia said and basically gets him to ask her to go to the dance with him.
1: There is a lot to unpack. Yeah. Because there is even, there's this moment where I almost feel like Mrs. Patman could easily just be pretending to not know Olivia's name (laughs) when she says, well, what about that other little friend of yours, right? Already belittling her. That girl who was here playing tennis with you and Bruce and Jessica. Olivia, you mean. Same trick again. Olivia, that's it. Yes, I mean Olivia. What did you say her last name was? Davidson, Roger said. And then she goes, would I be intruding if I were to ask you if you plan on inviting this Olivia to be your date at our party next Saturday? And then she goes, oh, dear, sighing deeply. <sighs> this may be none of my business. It's not none of, it's none of your business, bitch. Yeah. Like, we all know that, queen. Yeah. We all know it's none of your business. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And then she says...
0: Doesn't she suggest? Okay.
1: Isn't she, I don't know, a little awkward? And then she goes, I know some young ladies from the local college. I, you know... When Mr. Patman walks in, she says that other like sassy villain phrase, which is he and I were just getting better acquainted. Mm -hmm. We've all heard that in like a Nicolas Cage, like John Travolta (laughs) movie at some point. Um, So there's kind of a good cop, bad cop thing going between Mr. and Mrs. Patman here, because when Uncle Henry gets the baton passed to him. He just says, don't let it get to you. We're all extremely proud to have you as a member of the family. The Patman family needs someone like you.
0: Yeah. Uncle Henry's pretty
1: cool. Uncle Henry's pretty cool, but there is a very interesting, it's almost like this tag team good cop, bad cop thing that's fucking with his head. It's totally like the both of them are still kind of messing with him, kind of gaslighting him like, you do you. Oh, because but you can't. because
0: they're working together. It's yeah. Like it's that.
1: almost like they're yeah, it's whether or not it's intentional, I feel like when there is a power when there is mm-hmm. like a when parents do that, when one is like good and one is bad, it just really, really, really it ended up really confusing Roger. Yeah. And it's just like that right there is my Marxist analysis <laughs> is the rich toying with the poor in some way. Yeah. By saying like, Oh, you could be like us if you did our bidding here. Yeah, it's like one of them is what they're saying. Like, you're one of the noble exceptions. That's why you're welcome to this family. Versus, um, that means you have to give up the people who aren't exceptions, which are the other poor people. This is, you know, in some capacity.
0: Yeah. And here is, like, bourgeoisie Jessica, like, just trying to climb, like, upper middle class. Just a social climber. A social
1: climber. Yeah. And
0: and she does it expertly because when she shows up and she tells Roger that she heard Olivia say that, like, the Patmans didn't like her— Um, I probably shouldn't tell you this, Jessica said coyly, but Olivia told me that she's jealous of you now that you're living with the Patmans. I just don't think she can stand the fact that you're so wealthy now, Roger. In fact, Olivia told me she was going to break her date to the dance with you so you'd turn up by yourself and everyone would laugh at you.
1: (laughs) It's so outrageous. And
0: Roger's like, I can't believe Olivia would do something like that, but he, like, does believe it. And then when, um... When Jessica says, I told her you'd be able to go with anyone you wanted at the drop of a hat. Like, funny coming from me, since I don't have a date yet. Yeah. And then Roger's like, you don't? That's perfect. And then, so then they have a date set, and Jessica has gotten exactly what she wanted. And Olivia and Roger are are both heartbroken, but, like, separately and... And one in his mansion and the other in her little cute garden house.
1: It's so impressively fast. I feel like if I had the scheme like that, my my touch would require being way softer.
0: Yeah.
1: I couldn't just waltz in and go, this is what she said, this is when, and then immediately, like, the body's not even cold yet. She's like, well, take me instead.
0: Yeah, we don't, and she does it so, so, so
1: well. To be fair, to Jessica's credit, she probably already knew that Roger didn't even give a fuck to grieve about his dead mom and just went along with it. So I guess he just doesn't have a lot of waiting period for grief. He just kind of, he just kind of snaps back, no problem. Yeah, he's a very resilient man.
0: It's tempting. It's tempting to just like I could spend an hour talking about that. As someone who lost her own mother when I was in high school, it's just like no. No, I mean, you right. could, you can soldier on. In fact, that was sort of my coping mechanism was that like I was like, okay, this is my life now, this is the new normal. But it's not like I wasn't crying about my mom. It's not like I wasn't sad about it. And it's so weird that we get a glimpse into these characters in our lives and not a moment is spent for Roger thinking about how much he misses his mom. I, I, just a line like, you know, he would trade it all for you know to have his mom back. Would it would it Nothing been a, like that no. No, no, because it, I think it's an interesting question. Like he probably w- I feel like he probably would or like yeah. like if it were me, you know, I can think of all the different ways that I've grown as a person as a result of having lost my mom yeah. and I would absolutely trade it to have her back, you know? And it's not millions of dollars, but like I I have a feeling that probably Roger would say the same thing, but the book doesn't like let him be that much of a person.
1: It really doesn't and I the only way I could think of to just have a quick fix for it is mm-hmm. to just have a scene where Mrs. Patman tells him that she doesn't really want to hear all that much about his mom.
0: Because
1: mm. I feel like that's a very in-character thing for her to say. That
0: would be perfect, yeah.
1: And she would have a totally duplicitous reason that she would give him, but I don't think that I don't I, clearly that opportunity wasn't given. And I think it would give Roger a little bit of resentment. Yeah. But we already know that he's kind of we already know that there's some kind of allure to wealth that makes people want to be a part of it that want that want to be these people want the approval
0: ah and they and of they, the
1: wealth of the wealthy. Yeah.
0: And the wealthy, at least in this book, also kind of love their sort of, they, they relish their power. Yeah. They, they acknowledge their power and they relish their power, which brings us to the way that this all wraps up, which I found fairly delightful, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Okay. Which is Roger's getting ready for the dance. He's looking for cufflinks in Uncle Henry's room. Yes. And he overhears Aunt Marie on the phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Aunt Marie is so giddy, very Jessica-like. She's so giddy at what has unfolded since her conversation with Jessica that she can't help but tell it all to Mrs. Ferguson in in pretty minute detail. Also, very Bond villainy, come (laughs) to think of it. Do you have this page marked? I didn't mark it. I'm
1: looking for it. All right, Um, let's find
0: it. Because it's worth it.
1: And oh, I did find something for my earlier point real quickly. Oh, cool. It's um, on one twenty-four, Roger says he couldn't believe he had listened to all the nonsense. Jessica had fed him about Olivia's being jealous of him. Even worse. He had allowed himself to be part of a setup because he hadn't been able to stick up for himself and tell his aunt to mind her own business. And it's sort of like. It's her status that gives her that power over him, I think. In more ways than one. Like, it's a a rich parent, but it's also just, I don't know, man. There's just something about how wealth can toy with even, like, people's hearts. It's really interesting. Yeah,
0: well, that passage is kind of, like, the lesson of this book in a lot of ways. And so I think it sort of colored our whole conversation. Let's hit pause and just... Back, go back for a second so that I can read a little bit can I re- read a little bit of this yes this is, can I break up my Mrs. Patman again my yeah Marie yeah bring it up. all right so Marie Patman is on the phone with somebody I'm gonna assume it's Mrs. Ferguson but I don't think I don't know if we actually know <laughs> that okay it's her only friend <laughs> oh yes dear Mrs. Patman said assuringly he's going with Jessica Wakefield do you remember her from the barbecue that's right the pretty blonde with the twin sister "'As a matter of fact, I think Jessica's the one I really have to be grateful to. (laughs) "'Roger stood perfectly still, his mouth dry and his heart pounding. "'What in the world was going on?' "'Well,' Mrs. Patman confided, her voice dropping. "'I don't know how Jessica did it exactly. "'She and I had a chat the day of the barbecue, "'and I pointed out how entirely unsuitable I thought Roger's little friend was. "'Jessica seemed to understand me pretty well. "'The next thing I knew, she was taking the girl with her everywhere.' And a week ago, Roger told me he was through with her. She listened to her friend on the other end, then laughed. (laughs) That's right, Marjorie, she agreed. They're learning younger all the time. (laughs)
1: Gross. (laughs) So So gross. And
0: that's, that's, I I had to get to it because it's like, she is sort of relishing in this idea of like, she's grooming this young manipulator.
1: Why read Machiavelli's The Prince when you can just read the 16th? Sweet Valley is High. So
0: the word so, so
1: Machiavellian. Oh my gosh, here.
0: we came up with so much good stuff to unpack with this book that we're going super long. So let's go ahead and talk about how it wraps up, okay. and then we can talk about the B story in the extra drama. Yes, please. <laughs>
1: cuz I do have a lot to say B-story, about it. The story
0: like takes up probably half of this book, listeners. Yeah. So, tune in next week to find out about what was going on <laughs> with Regina Morrow in yeah. this book. But um so Roger now gets a little bit of a Machiavellian moment of his own cuz he decides that rather than just storming right over to Olivia's house or like confronting Jessica, he's going to go over to the Wakefield's house and ask to speak to Jessica and, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yes. Who is friends with Olivia Davidson because they both work on the paper. Uh, Yeah, yep. Olivia's the arts editor for the Oracle, which I found myself thinking, like, is that something that we had in my high school newspaper, like an arts editor? I
1: don't know. know. I wonder who's the editor of the business section of the high school newspaper. (laughs) Probably
0: Bruce Batman. (laughs) Probably Henry Batman.
1: Taking ads out for the Boston shop to recoup expenses. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, Bruce would never be caught dead in the Oracle office. Too boring. (laughs)
1: Way too boring. This queen... So at the confrontation... Mm -hmm. So Roger goes to the Wakefields' house, and it's all laid out on the line. And this is where I feel like... I feel like Jessica still got off easy because of how they... A point blame to themselves so Roger it says Roger spoke up quote it wasn't all Jessica's fault if I hadn't been so insecure about being a Patman I would have never have fallen for her little game but I just wasn't confident enough to stand up to my aunt Blah 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 she disapproves of all the things that really matter to me she wants me to take up tennis instead of running and get interested in business instead of medicine and she says if I hadn't been so insecure about myself Nothing Jessica said or did would have fazed me in the least. She laughed again. Quote, Wow, we've really acted like a pair of prize idiots, yeah. she declared. Now I get like, I get it. I yeah. get that confidence is important. But I do also think that confidence is a contextual thing. Like I'm confident on stage, that's fine. I'm confident at work, that, that like that's fine. But I remember when I went to a graduation party... Mm-hmm. Because I was a scholarship student into a private school. Okay. I skipped. A, I went to public school up until eighth grade. Okay. And then I transferred to this place called Shady Side Academy.
0: No, that sounds like a series of uh, novels. It, it really does, girls. right?
1: It's like, yeah, seriously, it's like Twin Peaks meets Wonder Boys meets.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: So, my junior year, there was a senior who was graduating that I was friends with. And he had his at this country club at a part of Pittsburgh called Fox Chapel. And I just felt this undesirability just crawling all over my skin the entire time, just because of the environment Mm -hmm. and just because of the status signifiers everywhere. Like, there's only so much you can do in your own head to stem the tide of status symbols that are above your reach, just bombarding you the moment you walk somewhere. And so for them to, like, blame themselves that their confidence didn't cut it, I think that they need to take a step back and realize that, like, there was someone who was really calculating on them.
0: Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, Big
1: time. Like, Jessica got off a little too easy, even with Elizabeth later. Oh,
0: my gosh. Well, so Jessica... Though, I think, wouldn't have been able to have such an influence on them if they hadn't been so insecure. That's yes. really what they're getting at, I yeah. think. And they definitely, neither of them should have believed a word out of Jessica's mouth. I don't know how the word has not gotten around Sweet Valley Hyde that Jessica Wakefield is a lying manipulator. But, um, I will say that I agree with you that Jessica got off too easy. Yes. Um Especially because Elizabeth like has a front row seat for the terrible thing that Jessica has done. Yeah. Because when uh, we didn't fully explain it but when Roger comes over to the Wakefield's house he kind of pretends that he doesn't know. He's just like he really Jessica I'm yeah. sorry I can't go with you uh, I think we need to if we all go together over or to Olivia's we can get her back but then he gives Jessica a look that makes Jessica realize that he knows more and she decides to stay home. Roger and and Elizabeth, together, go to Olivia's, and that's when this whole conversation you just read happened. And they yeah. get back together, and she wears... She puts on the same dress that we saw before, and Elizabeth sees this dress, and is like, I can't believe you made it. It's yeah, so it's beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah,
1: gorgeous. Right.
0: And they go to the dance together, and, uh, like, Mrs. Ferguson disapproves. But <laughs> Roger gets, a, like, a minor talking to by Marie for, mm-hmm. like... Being rude to Mrs. Ferguson, which he was not. Mrs. Ferguson was rude to him. Right. And Henry swoops in, and is like, we're all trying really hard to be a family, and it's like it. Everything switches. Everything is all. For a yeah, everything's yeah. like
1: all handy dandy. I get just for Elizabeth to. I will say though, in the book's defense, there is something very interesting about how Elizabeth is just like. But look at her; like she's just so hard to stay mad at. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, queen! Like that is a classic narcissist ability
0: yeah. to be oh, good point to
1: be charming and I, quick thinking
0: I'll tell you what Jessica's narcissism and Elizabeth's willingness to forgive her for it is the engine that this series runs on so yeah um well it, now that we're at the end of the book and they're at the big dance it seems like as good of a time as any yeah. to talk about boys
1: oh oh, oh who's a beautiful boy who's a beautiful boy Yes, we can talk about boys.
0: There is t- <laughs> <laughs> a boy in this book named Neil Fremont who we were introduced to in the last book. And I have never met a bigger, like, blank the Neil Fremont. We don't know it. anything anything about him it's another book jessica ends up going to the dance with him she is trying to get a ride from him a couple times the book has like a hundred opportunities to describe and explain neil Fremont to us and i still don't know so much as his hair color let alone a thing about his personality
1: here we go it's on page 26 this is all we get um and it doesn't tell us anything about him as a person What it says is Neil Fremont, as it happened, was one of the best looking guys in the twins class at Sweet Valley High. Good at sports, easy to get along with, and the proud owner of a brand new sports car. Neil was very much in demand. Between boyfriends, Jessica didn't mind spending time with Neil, especially now that he had a car. (laughs)
0: that line me too so good between boyfriends, jessica didn't mind spending, spending time, time with like how many vagaries can you get it's like this is like yeah. the bl- blank slate but i love it it's, it also says so much about jessica and her dating life this is
1: like the these people when they grow up like appear i feel like in dorothy parker and don powell books like these oh. horrible socialites anyway uh, so he's okay until things. something better comes along was how jessica described neil to her best friend
0: it's such a good sentence.
1: It's so good. There are some, and there are some real charmers in this book. There are some pretty amazing, like, brutal, like when, um, my favorite, I even posted this on Instagram because I loved it so much. I think it's so amazing. It, go, it reads like this. It wasn't. I didn't,
0: I didn't see it. Oh my no, God. I loved, I loved it. I'll repost it. I'll it's, repost it. It's um.
1: right at the end. It's so good. It's just. It wasn't that Caroline was unattractive. It was that her personality was so unpleasant that very few people liked her. <laughs>
0: yes. That sentence <laughs> is the only popular highlight in this whole book. <laughs> I read it on the Kindle version. Um,
1: it's so good. So, the, yeah, so anyway. As,
0: as long as we're talking about boys, but, though. But with
1: Neil. Oh, yeah, Neil. We know that he has a nice car. Yeah. We don't know what he likes. We don't know what he's like as a human.
0: No, no, and we never learn. Even though they do end up going to the dance together. Yeah. Um, Lila is with some guy named Drake, but we also don't really learn a thing about Drake. Maybe he'll appear in a future book. Um, of course, Elizabeth was Todd. Uh, Mr. Collins sadly does not appear in this book. He's a teacher at the school. Even though there's tons of Oracle stuff, yeah. he was just missing this week, I guess. But there's some interesting lines about Bruce that allude to his playboyness, and. One of them is that they're at this pool party and apparently Bruce is wearing a pretty skimpy bathing suit.
1: Oh my God, with George the Queen? Is it that well, moment? <laughs> well,
0: yeah, because yeah. George Warren, Enid's boyfriend, who lives in another town. Yeah. Um, so Bruce is has invited a lot of college girls to this party because he's always with college girls. I don't know where he finds them. I want to know where he found that bathing suit, George announced. It's the tiniest thing I've ever seen. It looks like a band-aid, Todd agreed. (laughs) So I don't Band-aid swimsuit makes me it really makes the mind real.
1: Yeah. Thinking
0: about Todd in a band-aid swimsuit. I'm
1: all yeah, I know, right? And I'm almost expecting like the to catch a predator host to swap the book out of my (laughs) (laughs) hand. He's 18, it's okay. Okay. Phew. I I wrote On page 39, where George's statement is, I wrote, and I'll show it to you, even though the audience can't see it, I wrote, George is a big queen. Because because (laughs) I heard it as like, I want to know where he found that bathing suit. It is the tiniest thing that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, very salacious. I
0: like it. That's how I read it. I approve of this reading. Any reading that inserts a little bit of... uh,
1: We need to queer this bitch up. Yeah,
0: queer diversity into the series. Yeah, because everyone
1: on the cover is white as fuck.
0: Mm.
1: And with a name and like inside and inside and the inside. as well. Neil Fremont blah blah blah. And the way that people are categorized with their beauty too, it's like, oh, the kids look just like their parents. Mm-hmm. The twins' father looked like an older version of their brother Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and then later, uh the Wakefield twins got their good looks, petite, blonde-haired and blue-eyed.
0: Well, the description of Mr. Wakefield in this book is, like, the most, like, sexy description of a, of a man that appears in the book. Like, talking about his broad shoulders his, and yep. his, like, tan, mm-hmm. muscular physique.
1: Dark hair, rugged good looks.
0: Yeah. Well, the only other boys I can think of to talk about in this book... Um, one is a teaser for our bonus episode, and one is a teaser for the next book. Yes. So we've got Lane Townsend, a sexy older man. Yes. What's Regina been doing with a sexy older man? You'll find out next week. Yes. Listeners. Um, And then there's Adam. Do you remember who Adam is?
1: Adam is the... Lovely strapping young buck that probably doesn't exist. <laughs>
0: so, Caroline Pierce keeps on talking about her long distance boyfriend named Adam. And there is toward the end of the book, all the girls are like hanging out somewhere during the big party. And there is just a little passage that I'm going to read because I thought it was funny. This
1: is really funny, yeah.
0: <laughs> Caroline says that she has this long distance boyfriend. And Kara Walker is like, I want to read one of those letters. And Caroline just whips one out of, his, out of her purse. Like, here you go. I've got this. I've got a letter right here. And so everybody's crowding around so they can read it. Several other girls came closer to listen to Adam's letter. How I wish I could be with you tonight at the dance. But, Caroline, as long as you know I love you, everything will be all right. You asked me the other day how much I loved you. Caroline, it's pretty hard to measure how I feel. Let me put it this way. I love you to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. And if you'll be mine, nothing shall ever keep us apart. I'll love you even more after our deaths. <laughs> Ugh, Kara said, putting the letter down. He sounds kind of morbid. Why is he gonna love you more when you're dead? <laughs> 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 That's
1: so good. And what's all this about nothing keeping you two apart? Sounds like something kept you apart tonight. <laughs> Caroline blushed hotly. He meant our souls.
0: And they, they make some funny joke about how maybe his soul can like float down and visit yep. yours. All of a sudden in this part of the book, Caroline and Lila get like really good at their job of being like bitchy catty monsters and it's mm-hmm. actually hilarious. A beautiful boy is a beautiful boy is a beautiful boy. Mr. Yarski are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth?
1: Okay, so my first thought is that I am probably a resigned Elizabeth and a failed Jessica.
0: Mm, good answer. Like
1: I, I'm the kind of person who could give ideas to Jessica, but wouldn't be able to carry them out myself because I either just <laughs> I just don't have the nerve, or I know that I just don't have like I, my guilt. Capacity, not a sociopath not a sociopath but I th- when I'm bored or like if I'm in a staff meeting I think of all kinds of different ways to kill the people in the room
0: <laughs> so or is anybody from work gonna be listening to no this no, no 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 no
1: <laughs> it's not any yeah, no. Nothing I, I personal, don't think Mike's co so. Coworkers. It's always kind of funny, though. It seems kind of rude to just, to just say, like, oh, no one's going to listen to this. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't
1: take it, take it personally. <laughs> oh, they're not going to listen. Yeah. Ultimately, I would say that I carry myself as an Elizabeth. But there is a little bit of fucking Jessica going on in the attic. There's yeah. a little bit of just, like, well, what if I did this? And, like, what if I just... But what if I did that to, like, ingratiate myself? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, total, like, power play. Those are all in there, but I don't act on them at all.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I think that's healthy.
1: Yeah. Like, but with Jess, the Jessica thing for me is also as a defense. It's not like I'm going to go out and manipulate other people, but I kind of go in with Jessica. If someone wrongs me or threatens me, then I start cooking up these vengeance schemes, and then I don't act on them because I don't have the balls (laughs) or the the (laughs) lack of conscience. Yeah. Sure.
0: Mike, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me. It was Um, fun.
0: Listeners, thank you for listening. Um, Take a look at Instagram, at Sweet Valley Diaries, or you can find me on Twitter, at Sweet Valley. Send me an email, uh, maybe with your own Sweet Valley memories or stories uh, from youth or from today, uh, at SweetValley.com. Diaries at me.com. Uh, Mike, do you have any projects or anything that you are working on that you want people to know about?
1: Yes, out? absolutely. Let's do let's do some of that. My Instagram is yarskyguitarsky. Love it. It's genius. Uh, I didn't come up with it. That's why I'm allowed to say that. I have a uh, Evil Mutants, an all-queer folk band, is going to be playing a show at the Satellite October 9th. I believe that starts either at 7 or 8.
0: In Los Angeles. In
1: Los Angeles. California, this is the Satellite. USA. Silver Lake. Yes. Um, I will be playing at Art Share next Thursday, the 27th, I believe. Yes. You're looking at me like I have your calendar in front of me.
0: I don't know. I
1: just looked at you because I didn't know if it was going to be out to air by the 27th. Oh. It'll be be the the day that this drops. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So it'll be later today Mm
0: -hmm.
1: at Art Share in Los Angeles on Hewitt Street. I will be playing a couple songs on piano. And that's about it. It's just working on new songs and I never all that heard good you stuff.
0: Play piano. It's a lot of guitar. fun. I
1: love writing on piano. Cool. It's a lot
0: of fun. Mike is an excellent guitarist.
1: Thank you. So. Thank you. Yes.
0: Well, thanks again for joining us, uh, and thanks to Jocelyn Schofield, uh, by the way, for the song "Beautiful Boys." You know it. You love it. <laughs> shall we tease the next book?
1: Yes, <laughs> we shall. Caroline nodded. I'm fine, Elizabeth," she said weakly. But actually, Caroline didn't feel fine at all. This is going to be a long evening, she thought to herself. And something tells me that the week ahead won't be easy either. What is Caroline afraid of? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 17. Love letter.
0: We're having a conversation about Sweet Valley. We're
1: having a conversation about having a conversation about Sweet Valley oh, High. This is
0: very meta.
1: Just wait for the Sweet Valley High podcast podcast where people are gonna go through each episode and go, you know what? I think that was more of a paranoid reading Ooh. of the narrative. Can we do like a more reparative one? Like what if Jessica is a savior? You oh know? my
0: god.